Welcome to this Summer Sabbath Sunday here at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Danny. And I'm Connie. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Today's lesson is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33 and 44 to 52. Another parable he put before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net which was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into vessels, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate evil from the righteous, and throw them into the furnace of fire, and there men will weep and gnash their teeth. Have you understood all this? And they said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure that which is new and that which is old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week, we are going to rejoin Paul in Romans 8 and take up where Danny left off last week. Now, up until this point in the book of Romans, Paul has been laying the foundation for these verses. And I shared some of this with you in our call to confession about our inability to keep God's law and God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ. Now, last week, Danny talked about our Christian hope, and he made a point that our hope is not optimism. It's not happy, clappy, pie in the sky, positive thinking. That's helpful to get us through the ups and downs of life, but that is not our hope. Our hope is in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent our Lord Jesus to come to live with us and to die for us. Our hope is in the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to continue reading from Romans 8, beginning in verse 26 and going to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. 
And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that will condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Now, we Americans, we love winners. We like for our sports teams to win. We like for our children to win. We like for our political candidates to win. We like for our economy to win. Um, Eric and I moved to Kansas City in 2016 from Kansas City. And on February 2nd of this year, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Oh, how we wish we could have been there for the celebrations in the streets of Kansas City for our winning team. The pageantry and the parties uh, are, were going on everywhere as people of Kansas City declared the Chiefs' kingdom has come. Big wins we love. They whet our appetite for future wins, and it is such a thrill to be a winner. Now, the Apostle Paul was convinced that those of us who follow Jesus are winners. We are already more than conquerors. But you would not know it to look at us, would you? We suffer, Christ followers suffer from mental, physical, spiritual aches and ailments just like the rest of people who don't follow Jesus. And now with this pandemic still with us and politics and protests in full tilt, we wonder, 
where we are, when we're ever going to get back to what we thought was normal. So today, we may feel like anything but winners, yet Paul's words challenge us. Who will separate us? Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Will distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, these shouts of victory and of truth, we are so happy to to know about. We all want to join in the parade. But in squaring that with our day-to-day lives, we are very much helped by Jesus' teachings that Terry read to you from Jesus' parables. Jesus said in those parables that things in God's kingdom are not always as they appear. Um, The kingdom begins small, like a seed or a dot of yeast. It appears quite insignificant. But these tiny things, this tiny kingdom beginning, has great, great influence. The mustard tree becomes a large tree where birds congregate. The, um, the yeast has leavening power that rises, makes the bread rise to the delight of the baker and of the eater. Likewise, the activities of Christ's kingdom, the things we do, sometimes feel small and insignificant and humble, But through them, we trust that God is up to something big. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a treasure or like a pearl of great price. This has enormous value and it's worthy of great sacrifice, but it remains hidden from sight. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a net thrown into the sea, cast by fishermen who pull up both good fish and bad. And really the condition of the fish is not the concern of those who are fishing, but it is God who judges the good and the bad fish. So that helps ground us a little bit before we ascend to the lofty heights with the Apostle Paul. Paul begins low. He says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, which weakness do you suppose the Spirit is to help us with? What's he talking about here? Is it Maybe our inability to master a skill that we need for work or for school? Is it our trouble balancing our budget or parenting our children? Is it the things about us that need to change our foul temper or our unhealthy um, appetite for for food or, or drink or our dependence on social media? Is Paul talking about mental or physical weakness? Somehow I don't think so. I think what Paul has in mind here is a weakness that we share, all of us, with all of humanity. And one of those weaknesses, among others, is an ignorance about prayer. We just don't know how to pray as we ought. Paul says we can't come up with the words to express ourselves. Or is that what he's really saying? I have that trouble sometimes. You know, 
Often I get called on to open or close a meeting in prayer or even just pray at a meal. And sometimes I have trouble coming up with the words to say, but still I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here. So I wonder, is it our weakness that we really don't know exactly what it is that we need? I can think of a long list of things that I need. I know you can too. But Paul at this time had a particular need in mind. And one time, you know, it's instructive to look back at some of the other things Paul has said. He talked about a particular need that he had. He called it his thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. But we know that Paul tells us that he asked the Lord three times to deliver him from this thorn in the flesh that was keeping Paul from what he thought was fruitful ministry. And here's the Lord's reply. My grace, Paul, and the rest of us, is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. There it is again, weakness. We have weakness. And the Spirit intercedes on our behalf for God. Now, you know what it means to intercede. It's to be a go-between, between two parties. A school teacher intercedes in her classroom. A doctor intercedes for patients. Um, umpires intercede in sports activities. Um, Paul writes that the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. Now, that word that is translated sigh actually is, means sort of a groaning wordless expression of deep concern or stress. So the Spirit is deeply engaged in our lives in ways that, honestly, I don't think we can quite imagine. Imagine that right now, wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and for those you love. The Spirit is as close as your heartbeat, as near as your breath. Despite whatever anxiety you're dealing with today, you can rest in the truth that the Spirit is interceding for you. Paul writes that the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. Hmm. Now, what do you suppose God's will is? What is God's purpose for our lives? We wonder this a lot. Um, theologian Dallas Willard wrote in one of his books that if you're doing a conference and you entitle a seminar discerning or understanding God's will, that it will be packed up immediately. People want to know what God wants them to do, how God wants them to be. Um, they, we need help with daily questions. Um, should I work at the food pantry or should I go read with elementary school children who need help? Should I marry Bob or Brad? Should I send my children to this school or that school? Should I send my children to school when it meets in person again? These are choices we have and we seek God's help in these choices and God cares about these choices and leads us. But within God's will, God has given us human beings a lot of freedom and a lot of responsibility. Our scriptures are not just a spiritual advice manual. Whether, rather, they are filled with God's law 
and with deep wisdom and with the good news of God's salvation plan for all of humanity. So these teachings lead us towards God's will for us, but we still need the Spirit's help on the day-to-day, don't we? Now, Paul gives us a big clue about God's will when he writes this. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the, the likeness or the image of his Son, so that Jesus might be the firstborn of a large family. Now, when we get to this passage, especially in a Presbyterian church, we often get caught up in the two words, those whom God foreknew and predestined. And these are fabulous thoughts and high thoughts. And if you would love to have coffee with me sometime in an appropriately socially distant you know, manner, I would love to have a long conversation about those ideas, but I'm going to go past them today because I think we've got more to move on to. Um, Jesus is the firstborn of a large family. He came to continue to build on the work of the law and the prophets to build God's forever family. You and I are brothers and sisters of Jesus, and we are children of God and God's family. Each one of us is created in God's image. You've never locked eyes with anyone who does not bear the image of God, but there's more. God deeply desires to see not only God's image in us, but also the image of his son, Jesus, which is stamped on our hearts, and enacted in our lives. We are called to be bearers of Christ-like self-giving love and grace and mercy, and that is God's will for us. Just like Jesus, we who follow him welcome strangers, especially unpopular ones. We do Jesus' work of healing and feeding and having fellowship with one another. Jesus loved people. He laughed with them. He prayed with them. He provided for them. And Jesus suffered mightily in his life. He suffered rejection, betrayal, temptation, and the like. He suffered crucifixion and even separation from God the Father in his death. And this, minus the separation from God, is the pattern for our lives as well. We are conformed to Christ's image through the joys and the sufferings of our lives. But this is not an individual exercise. Remember, Jesus is the head of a large family, and we are in it together. God is with us, and we so need each other, don't we? So as we continue in Romans 8, it's almost like a scene change. Paul jumps from where he is into the courtroom. And we see Paul, the Pharisee, which is a lawyer of sorts in the Hebrew way, pleading a case before a judge, asking a string of rhetorical questions for which the answer is known. If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who didn't withhold his own son but gave him up for us, will he also not give us everything else? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who will condemn? It's Christ Jesus. 
who was raised and is now at the right hand of God interceding for us? Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ? Will hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword? And Paul answers all these with an emphatic no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. People, you need to know this. God loves you. Jesus lived, taught, died, and was resurrected for you. You have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Jesus is your brother and the Spirit is your guide. And so Paul keeps going. He's getting to the mountaintop here. He writes, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to challenge you to make your list. What are your things that threaten to separate you in your own mind anyway from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Is it disease or disability? Is it fear? Is it family? Is it wealth? Is it war? Is it transitions or temptations? Is it dysfunction or debt? Is it broken bones? Or is it shattered dreams? Is it divorce? Is it doubt? Is it politics or pandemic? No. None of these things can separate us from the love of God. God loves you that much and proved it by raising Jesus from the dead. Now, this text, you know, is so often used at funerals, which we Presbyterians call a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul exclaims our Christian hope in this most beautiful of tellings, really. And this message of love And hope and grace is for all who follow Jesus and all who desire to follow Jesus. Just come on. Sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we need a reminder that God just loves us that much. I'm going to share with you a story from Frederick Buechner, who's such a wonderful writer. He writes, I was walking along in Central Park when a middle-aged black woman came toward me going the other way. Just as she passed me, she spoke. What she said was, Jesus loves you. That's what she said. Jesus loves you, just like that. She said it in an everyday voice as if she had been saying good morning. And I was so caught off guard that it wasn't until she was lost in the crowd that I realized what she had said and wondered if I could possibly run to to catch up, to find her, to thank her, and to say, yes, if I believe anything worth believing in this whole world, I believe that he loves me, and he loves you, and he loves the whole damned, doomed pack of us. Friends, we need to hear that. We don't hear it enough. God's love is great enough and God's grace is big enough and wide enough and strong enough. 
to catch us, to save us, to redeem us, to reconcile us, to renew us. So here's my challenge for you this morning. Tell someone today that Jesus loves them and start with yourself, wherever you are. Say aloud to yourself, Jesus loves me. Let's do that. Jesus loves me. Now, if you are with another person, turn to that person and say to them, Jesus loves you. Now, a third thing. If you have your phone nearby, pick it up and text whomever you want, or do this later, and text someone the message, Jesus loves you. God loves you that much. Yes, we fall down, but with the Spirit's help, we always get up again and we keep going. Presbyterian minister and president of Princeton Theological Seminary, Craig Barnes, tells this story in one of his books about going to visit a church member in a nursing home. This woman was blind and had lost most of her hearing. She had outlived most of the people who loved her, and very few people in the church even remembered her. So Barnes said that he came in, and he was very distracted. He'd had a busy, terrible day, and he tried to be cheery, and he went through the words of the Lord's Supper. This is my body, broken for you, said Jesus. This is my blood, shed for you. And then he prayed briefly, and he gave her a pat on the shoulder and assured her of God's love for her. But before he could leave the room and rush on to his next thing, she began to pray aloud. And here's what she prayed. Thank you, God, for being so good to me. Thank you that I am not forgotten. Thank you for always loving me. Now, Barnes said that he stopped. He was stunned. He sat in his seat. He was stopped in his tracks and stopped in his own manic efforts to be the Savior himself. This blind woman could see what he could not see. She had lost everything but God, and yet her heart was filled with gratitude. God's power, my friends, is made perfect in weakness in yours and in mine. So may we hear the song of God's sweet spirit reminding us of God's love for us. May we be renewed in hope and strengthened by God's love for us so that we might love God and love our neighbors. And may we lean into faith that with God, there is nothing that can separate us from his love in Christ Jesus. Alleluia and amen.